0: And now, it's time to
1: sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hang on a minute.
2: Who
0: put you in charge? And who the hell are you anyway? I'm the doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Kasturbaros. I'm 903 years old and I'm the man who's going to save your lives
3: and all 6 billion people on the planet below. You got a problem with that? No. In that case... Allons-y!
2: Would you like a jelly baby? My Sarah Jane. Oh, Oh, look, rocks!
0: Wibbly wobbly,
2: timey wimey.
3: Watch it, spaceman man Boy,
2: watch it, Earth girl I will teach you The folly of your words, Doctor uh, Smith Dr. John Smith and this is Duggan He's a detective who's been kind enough to catch me
0: You always were an optimist, weren't you? Thank you for the compliment. I really
2: want to go. Hello. Mate in six moves, master. You, you, oh, you,
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of You True Freaks. Woo! Slash... <laughs> monthly slash semi and all to hell with it whenever we can get together and crank out an episode show about that british icon who is not a member of one direction
3: we're 18 we can vote that's true this, this podcast can vote now
0: I'm one of your hosts, Sean Engel, and today we're going to be doing more random favorite episode talk as we look to the recent past and delve into the 10th Doctor's timeline and pluck out an episode from Series 4, a little episode called Fires of Pompeii. And of course, no episode of Two True Freaks would be any fun, or any good for that matter, if it was only me talking about the show. So joining me in this lava-based love fest are two members of the Two True Freaks family, Miss Hope Mullenax. Hello, Hope.
3: Hi! Oh, you're lovely, Sean. Don't even talk about it. You are very interesting.
0: Oh, yeah, that's that's very... something of you. Aww. And the man associated with with other characters who were on fire, the one and only Shag.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I don't quite follow you. I don't speak Celtic.
0: Yeah, that's that's true. I Yeah, <laughs> ip, ipso facto reductum. <laughs> and that, that's Harry Potter, I think, as well. So, I don't know. <laughs> so, everyone, how how's, how's your... How's everything going in uh, Doctor Who land? We've been having a good time. Yeah, the uh, as of this recording, the season finale for uh, what the seventh season, eighth season, what is it? Eight, 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 eight season finished up, and yeah, that was that was pretty. That was something.
3: I cried. Hey, are we going to have a separate episode for uh, talking about Capaldi's eighth season?
0: We might do that as well. I've got something lined up here in the near future with some other people who uh, asked to record a specific show, but I wouldn't be opposed to that. Uh, okay. I haven't really made any specific plans, specific plans for it yet, so I, that, that's I, been here. I,
1: I would suggest we might want to wait till after the Christmas episode, because that really completes the season if you mm-hmm. think about it, because...
3: I always had, think of the Christmas episodes as the beginning of the next season.
1: Well, it, it kind of depends on the way they're going. See, normally they get 13 episodes. Capaldi only got 12. Hmm. So I see the Christmas one as his 13th. But you know what? Who knows? It looks silly anyway. It looks silly fun, so I mean, who knows?
3: Well, the, the Christmas f- episodes are always silly fun.
0: Well, yeah. the fact that they've got Nick Frost in playing uh,
3: Santa Claus, that's...
0: <laughs> that's You know, you you basically got the... the the buddy from Shaun of the Dead as Santa
3: Claus I'm so excited I love Shaun of the Dead I love the Three Cornetto trilogy
1: (laughs) I have a question because this this is not a spoiler this is speculation folks so um when Capaldi originally got the job we heard the rumor he was only going to stay for a year do we know for absolutely matter of fact that he's going to be in next season or is it possible he might go out in the Christmas special
3: ooh I don't know
1: I mean, it would be kind of a silly episode to go out on. I mean, it's freaking Santa Claus. But um, I just, you know, I, I've been wondering about that lately, whether he's going to be in next season or not.
0: See, uh, you would think that if they were going to have a new a new person to come in to play the Doctor for the next season, they would have to get the announcement out pretty quickly. Yes. I, I, I have a feeling that Capaldi's going to be in at least for another season. Okay. I, I, You know, I... I you know, I we'll discuss this when we get to all of Capaldi's run, but overall I've been really impressed with Capaldi specifically this season. The the overall season has been good, it's improved to the end But Capaldi has not failed, has not disappointed any time. He's
3: according to DoctorWhoTV.co.uk. Further to yesterday's news, the Sun uh, today reported that not only has Capaldi signed up for this year's Christmas special, but also season series nine in 2015. An unnamed insider quoted as saying, "Peter is the perfect Doctor, and he's a he's a lifelong fan of the show and a great actor, and they want to do at least another series with him."
2: Well, that's we go. good to hear.
3: And there's also hope that he'll play the role for years, according to this BBC source.
0: Well, any word, any word on Moffat? Uh, give me a second. See, I, you know, I wouldn't mind if Moffat stayed around. He's... He kind of felt at the beginning... He, he was kind of losing me at the beginning, but near the end, things starting to tighten up in this series. And I enjoyed the episodes a lot more. But... Uh, I know there's a lot of people who are kind of wanting a different showrunner to come in. To come in, I know there's been some internet buzz about Moffat not being, you know, kind of losing his touch. What do you say about that, Shaq?
1: I don't want to answer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Go ahead. Is, that, is are you going to be controversial? Or are you going to be? I've been a fan of Doctor Who for
1: 31 years. Um, I've been passionate about it. I've always loved the show. Every season, I dive in with gusto. I can't get enough of it. Um, I have not seen all season eight yet. Uh, I've watched the beginning of it and I watched the end of it, and sooner or later I will get around to watching the middle. And I just don't care. Um, I think Peter Capaldi is an amazing actor in that was it the thick of it is that or in the thick of it whatever, that show he did. I love that show. He is frigging awesome in that show. I think that he's acting very well in the role he's given for this season, uh, but. Very little in this season has really kept my attention.
3: There's a lot of like middle episodes that were really good standalone episodes. Um, I know that's
1: the time, part I haven't seen yet, so maybe that's I know, what I need like, to watch. There is,
3: I, and a lot of them were like they had slow first halves and then like they had a turn and then something happened that was awesome. Like Time Heist was very much that for me, and, and I won't spoil it for you, Shag, but yeah. I had a very slow start and then something happens. And it was a fantastic end, and that was how a lot of the episodes. Uh, Kill the Moon was the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, a slow start, and then something happened, and it changes at the end. And uh, that's how a lot of the season was for me. Um, and and so I, I really, my my feelings on Moffitt, I'm I'm very much a Moffat fangirl. I mean, hell, my first two episodes were Girl in the Fireplace, and then Blink, two Moffat episodes. And so um, that's, those are the two episodes that made me fall in love with Doctor Who and want to watch the show. So I'm, I'm very much a Moffat fangirl, and I have been very critical of Russell T. Davies in the past. Um, I think because of it, because Russell T. Davies' writing wasn't the writing that made me fall in love with Doctor Who. That being said, um, I really didn't like Matt Smith's last, se- uh, last half season um, with, with Clara, but a lot of that was because I didn't like Clara, and I really hated that season um a lot like i still haven't gone back to watching it to wanting to rewatch it because i just don't want to i have no urge to watch it um i thought the 50th was beautiful and then this season minus the first episode like if you took out that first episode this was a very strong stellar season and it might be possibly my favorite season if not my fav- second favorite um and in fact our the episode we're going to be talking about tonight season four is still my favorite season uh, mm-hmm. of New Who. Um and that's that, that was one reason why I wanted to talk about a season 4 episode and I approached you guys with Fires of Pompeii. Um, but this season might possibly be my new favorite season of Doctor Who. Very, that's
1: awesome.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I loved this season.
1: Yeah, I, I just want to yeah, let me finish real quick, Sean. I'm sorry. I'm in no but I just I had to close out my thought. I guess kind of fits nicely as a bookend to what Hope just said like I I guess I'm a, I've turned into a grumpy old fan. But I'm not the kind of grumpy old fan that says this isn't my show anymore. I feel more like I just need to gracefully get out of the way for new fans like yourself, hope, and let you guys have your time and you know love it. And I'm thrilled you guys are loving it. It just
0: it didn't feel like it was for me.
3: A grumpy old doctor for a grumpy old fan. There
0: it is. There it is. I would I would recommend Shag that you watch some of the episodes because since you've only seen the beginning and the end, you've seen kind of. I would see uh, you've seen sort of the best of, and not really the worst of, because there's an episode in there that's significantly worse than Deep Breath, in my opinion. Yeah, there's
3: there's one episode that's really bad, like right in the middle. But other than that, every episode has been worlds better than Deep Breath. Mm -hmm. They've all did you did you like the two parter finale, like Dark Water and then uh, Death in Heaven, I think it's called. Did you like that two parter?
2: Who are you
1: asking?
3: You shag. Um. It was okay.
1: Like there was like the shocks were great. You I mean the big <gasps> moments were wonderful, but a lot of it there there was uh, some ridiculous fan wank in there that I thought. Um, I guess we're are we you... are we spo- we're spoilery right here. Yeah, okay. we, yes, okay. spoilery. Um,
3: yes. Did you not like the brigadier?
1: No, it a... disturbed me to great ex- great amounts. No, so I had a moment
3: so where I was like, oh man, that means Amy and Rory are running around as Cybermen somewhere.
1: Right, like for a split second, I was just like, oh, it's the but then I was like, wait a minute, this is freaking stupid. I mean, you know what? He got a good send off already when Matt Smith called and he'd already passed, and that was amazing and put me in tears. And this this was just kooky. Um, the Master, Missy was she was the best Jack Nicholson uh, Joker I've seen in a long time. Um, yeah, the actress was really good, and it was fun. I. I Maybe if I see it again, I'll I digest it more. But it was like, when I got done with it, it was, it was fine. But it reminded me very much of uh, the season three finale where the Master turned everyone in the Earth into his, uh, I'm sorry, where he had those little floating heads going around attacking the, the planet and stuff. Remember the... I can't remember what they were called. Martha was there, the Doctor got turned into a wizard. Yeah. Okay. Remind me a lot of that season finale.
3: See, for me, it wasn't the actual plot that I liked. It was the emotional moments. Like, I... I cried so much losing Danny Pink cuz as much as I Cla- I found Clara a lot better this season I still really don't like her that much. I still find her very selfish and 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 god such a brat and she infuriates me to no end a, a lot of times, but I love Danny. Danny mm-hmm. to me was the better companion this season. Uh, and I, you guys know, I've always said I really love male companions, and I love their relationship with the doctor. I, I think they bring a different thing to the table, and Danny brought a different feeling. And I think he, being post fiftieth anniversary and seeing the time war and seeing all that recently, and like seeing that those repercussions. Having a soldier there, constantly bickering the Doctor when he's finally in this time where he's trying to move on. He's trying to move past this war. Having a soldier there, constantly bickering at him, I thought brought a great new dimension to the Doctor of this thing that he doesn't want to face. Like, he wants to find Frey, but he still wants to run away at the same time. And he constantly just, he cannot escape this war.
1: I liked. The, I thought it was a nice balance to have two school teachers from Cole Hill School in the TARDIS.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. There's a nice uh, callback to the uh, to the original Doctor. There.
1: Exactly. Go. So it was a good way. So,
0: <laughs> uh, I'll go ahead and say, I I hate to disagree with you, Hope. I was not a fan of Danny mink uh, You know, the character just. You know, I would like to see a male companion tooling around with the Doctor. Or I'd like to see someone that he could. He could play off of, you know, the the two masculine characters playing off each other. But I just, for some reason, Danny Pink didn't resonate with me. And I think it's because, you know, the first encounter that we had with him or the the doctor had with him basically caused, you know, Danny just basically, because of his curiosity to figure out what the doctor was doing, screwed up the entire plan that the doctor had to get rid of this deadly alien spider thing that was going to murder everyone in the, in the school, so... But the
3: Doctor was lying to Clara in the first place. If he would have just been honest... And Clara, once again, was lying to Danny, as she did all freaking season. I don't know why Danny stayed with her. Uh, because if she and the Doctor had just both been honest, none of that would have happened. He lied to her, and she lied to Danny.
0: Well, but if any art, <laughs> Danny wasn't a big nosy Shaq, cover your
3: ears! Shag, cover your ears! No, no. It,
0: it, no, in the end, he didn't really stay with her. <laughs> I
3: mean,
0: he, he got... Hit by a car.
3: Yeah. So,
1: but you're right. He was gonna forgive her. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah.
0: But you know, we can we can agree to disagree, and I, so, under, I understand your reasoning behind
3: it. So, are we saying that it, after the Christmas episode, we're gonna do a Capaldi recap season episode?
0: If If you'd like to, I'd be more than happy to.
3: I will get it together and I'll put it out. And should now since it's an entire season recap, we should state that it will probably be longer than a regular Who True Freaked episode. Correct.
0: Oh, like, this one isn't going to be short anyway. I'm certain this is going to run.
3: <laughs> Actually, I don't have very many notes. Uh, That's good. Yeah, we'll see. But oh. post-Christmas deal, guys?
0: Sure, we can work this out. You know. Like all I,
3: right. Uh, you heard it from us, listeners.
0: There you go. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into the show. Do we want I've got a synopsis written up here, and we'll get all this done. Do it! All right, here we go. The Fires of Pompeii was the second episode and of the fourth season of Doctor Who, and it aired in the UK on April twelfth of two thousand and eight. It was directed by Colin Teague, written by James Moran, and edited by by Brian Minchin, and produced by Phil Collins. The cast included. <laughs> I
3: thought you said Phil Collins, and well, I was like, "Wow, really? <laughs> wow!"
0: Was doing it in the Stew Stew Studio. Um, the cast <laughs> nicely played, sir.
3: High five.
0: The cast included David Tennant as the doctor, Catherine Tate as Donna Noble, Peter Capaldi as Casilius, is that how you pronounce that? Uh Cailius. okay. I'll I'll mispronounce it plenty of times during the
3: show. Uh, yeah, Ka- I had to go back and must
0: this, Caelius. Ka- okay. Cailius. Uh Tracy Childs as uh Matella. Bill Davis as Lucius, Francesca Fowler as Evelina, Francois Pendalo Pendalo Pandolfio as Quintus. <laughs> And Karen Gillan as not, uh, or as the soothsayer. <laughs> not Amy. <laughs> the story opens with the Doctor and Donna exiting the TARDIS in the middle of ancient Rome for some time-display sightseeing. After some experimentation on how the TARDIS translation matrix works, Donna makes the observation that Rome was supposed to be built on seven hills, not one. Especially not one that is smoldering and causing earthquakes. Realizing that they missed Rome by about 150 miles, the doctor proclaims that they are in Pompeii, one day before the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Deciding that this might not be the best vacation spot, the doctor and Donna head back to the TARDIS, only to find that it has been sewed to sculptor Cacalius and his family as a work of art. Using the psychic paper to pass himself off as Marble Inspector Spartacus, the doctor finds the TARDIS and prepares to depart until Italian Gary Busey enters the home and asks the design tile of marble that looks like a part of a circuit. The doctor's interest piqued. He engages Italian Gary Busey in a contest of wits, finding that unlike American Gary Busey, he's actually quite intellectual, even calling out the doctor as being from Gallifrey. Realizing that something is up with all these people knowing more than they should, the doctor, with help from Quintus, Gacalius' son, goes to investigate Italian Gary Busey's home and finds more of the circuit stones that make up an energy You're killing me! Don't tell me he doesn't look like him. (laughs) You're right. The duo is then discovered by Italian Gary Busey, who sicks a lava monster on them. But back at Cacallus' home, the monster is dispatched by Quintus, tossing a goblet of water on it. In the confusion, Donna is kidnapped by the Sisterhood of Karn. Um, sorry, I mean, the Hmm. Simpline Sisterhood. And (laughs) taken to the High Priestess for torture. Torture, Torture! 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 The doctor goes to release her and discovers that the sisterhood is red Bull. is led by a woman with a horrible skin condition caused by snorting pyrovile fumes. <laughs> the fumes of this volcanic race are what's causing Italian Gary Busey and Evelina's skin to turn to stone, as well as allowing them the gift of insight, and the pyroviles are planning on using the circuit board to convert the power of the volcano into a way to conquer Earth. But having escaped into the heart of Vesuvius, the Doctor and Donna blow up the circuit board real good. Dashing the Pyrovilles or the Pyrovile's plans, but dooming the people of Pompeii in the process. The doctor and Donna prepare to leave in the TARDIS, but Donna manages to convince the doctor to save the lives of Cacelius and his family, which he drops off outside the city, allowing one set of lives to survive the tragic quote unquote fixed point in time. Six months later we see Cacalius' family successfully residing in Rome, with Quintus even studying to become a doctor. And, before he leaves the house, Quintus pays tribute to the household gods, a bas-relief of the TARDIS, the doctor, and (laughs) doctor. Well yeah. So,
3: there must be an age difference because I know who Gary Busey is, but I don't get the joke.
1: He's You're so the- ugly.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. Oh. Gary Busey is a. Really unattractive looking man, especially in his older years, and that dude looks just like him.
3: I I know who he is, but I was like, was he in like a toga movie that I don't know about?
0: No, he wasn't. He's just he's just a hideous looking man. And his son, his unfortunate son, Jake Beaucy has Ooh. just the same. Ones. But he's Everyone had a career is being beautiful
3: terrifying. in their own way, boys.
0: Oh well Everyone that's, is that's that's how that's how you differ from us, home,
3: you know? To answer your question earlier, Moffat, um, uh, confirms that he'll be spinning his tales of time through at least two more seasons. This was written before season eight, and pending an eighth and not ni- an inevitable ninth season series. Okay,
0: so at least we know that Moffat will be around for one more season. So, you know whether or not you're enthralled by that. There you go. There's the information out there. But we're Bring on, on, on fires.
3: fires. We're talking about fires of Pompeii.
0: That's ring on season ten. Anyway, <laughs> so what do we think about this one, folks?
3: Um,
1: I, do you want to? I'll, I'll just say real briefly, and I'll let hope you do your your, your thoughts. I uh, I rewatched this again; it's been a little while, and I have to say, you bastards made me cry at my during my lunch hour today.
3: I, I know it's been a while since I've seen this one too. Um, I have different notes about different points, but um, God, I just I love season four, and a lot of it is I freaking love Donna. Oh yeah, well, Donna Noble is what makes season four so good. Like the the season four finale is not the best, but. I just losing Donna at the end still just makes me crawl on a ball and sob like a child. (laughs) Just sob every time. But the thing about Fires of Pompeii, it's not the best plot-written episode, but what makes the episode for me is all the emotional moments and the moral struggle of do we save the world or do we kill these people? And the whole, like, there's a fixed point in time and the doctor has to be the one that makes the decisions. And I still... Get emotional when Donna doesn't say anything, but she just puts her hands on top of the doctors, and they do it together,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: and her just screaming and begging the doctor just to save one family, and just just one people, and like just that entire scene just still makes me get. I I didn't really I I knew it was gonna happen, and I got really teary and crying during that scene, and and that's what makes. Donna's so good. I mean, it's it's her emotional moments and her ability to stand up to the doctor and be his best friend. Unlike a lot of the romantic interests of New Who, she is first and foremost, first and foremost, always his friend and has no problem telling him what he needs to hear, no matter what.
1: Catherine Tate puts she goes all in, like like the, exactly that scene you described where she's crying her eyes out. The thing that struck me about that is this is going to sound terrible, but just go with me. She's hideous looking during that scene. And I mean that simply because she is a person who is crying her soul out and weeping and screaming and, and everything. Dirty,
3: and dirty from right. a volcano. She's dirty
1: and vul- Yeah. Whereas, I, I, I very much like Martha and Rose, but when they were upset, they were usually pretty girls crying. And Donna is just full out a real person. I totally buy her in the TARDIS and... That moment just killed me. When you were describing it just now, it started to get to me again. When
0: she screaming at him,
1: holy crap!
0: Yeah, just I think, so powerful. I think like, that's the wonderful thing about Donna as a character. She's not your typical. I mean, both Martha and Rose were very pretty characters. They were. She even very says attractive.
3: in this episode, "I don't know who you've like, what little girls you've been traveling with, but I'm not going to take this shit." Like she even says <laughs> it to him in this episode.
0: Yeah, and I like the fact that she is more representative of a normal person. Uh, It's nice every once in a while, you know, just for the, you know, we've always talked about on Doctor Who that they'd have a little something for the kids and a little something for the dads. And the, you know, the cute characters that traveled with the Doctor were always there. But I'm glad that they finally turned that around and gave the Doctor a competent, not unattractive, but not excessively beautiful character to travel along with the Doctor. And this was a person who I think complimented him greatly because she was more realistic in my opinion than some of the other companions that he's had recently in the
3: series. And I think a lot of that is age difference. I mean, Rose is what, like 19? Like Donna is what, would you say probably in her early mid-30s-ish give or take?
0: Mid. Mid.
3: Mid-30s? I Well, I'm not talking about like, Catherine take I'm talking about how they're trying to portray the characters. No, it's, so I would, yeah, I would oh, say okay. early to mid-30s. I would,
0: I would say early 30s. Yeah, because yeah, she got married. Yeah.
3: Um, but, I mean, in that case, I mean, she has way more experience than... You know, Martha was still in school. So, like, she has, like, m- way more experience than uh, any of the other more recent female companions. If we look at, like, what? Rose, Martha, Amy, Clara, and then Donna... I mean, she is, by far, has the most life experience. She can bring that to the table. And she's had the m- more experience with just people and just life in general. So she understands, I think, better than any of the other ladies thus far what it's like to know about suffering, know about hard times, know about struggles. I mean, I'm starting to get close to my 30 mark, and I, good Lord, my 19-year-old self is nothing compared to what I am now.
1: Right. And, and and folks, don't send hate mail. We're not bashing uh, Rose and Amy and Clara and all that. We're, we're just we get for, mail?
2: Well, where do well, we get mail? I'm, pre-
1: I'm just pretending. We do. Actually, uh, we, do. Will,
0: we will read an email here on the show after we get done with our conversation. So Sean, don't
1: email. don't read the emails that I send. No bad, no, bad mouthing. Hope
0: anyway. No, that's fine. we're
1: not. We're not bad mouthing those other companions. We're just singing the praises of Donna here. Well, want to make sure that's clear.
0: It, well, it's it's kind of like anything that we do in the nerd world. You know, when we're when we're saying we don't like this, it's not because or that we like this more. It's not that we dislike the other things. It's just that we like this more. We find Donna in this case to be a much. More interesting and compelling companion, but it doesn't mean that the Clara or Rose or any other companion before is significantly worse, unless you compare it to, um, you know, Adric. Sarah Jane. No, yeah, well, Adric, <laughs> yeah, Adric can die in a fire, which is I, good, okay. I guess.
3: okay. All right, speaking uh, of this, this I, I a
0: finale, you're Hold
3: entitled on. to our opinions. I don't like Clara; she's significantly worse than Donna. Okay. Uh,
1: I I liked Clara after the 50th anniversary special. But anyway, um, quick, okay, since we are, I'm digressing from a, moment, since I brought up Adam. fine. You. Uh, season finale, the two-parter of season eight. All right, so, he's willing to go to the afterlife for Clara's boyfriend. Never tried it for Adric, just saying. Putting it out there.
0: <laughs> Aw, and even after Adric got the, the little medal thing for yep. being super smart or whatever Just saying. It. Yeah. Wow. Poor Adric. Poor
1: Adric. Yeah. So I
3: don't know who the hell you're talking don't, about. Don't worry. Oh
1: my gosh. You know, it's, oh. it's
3: old who. I'm sorry. You are, you
1: do, you you are, don't are so. such a child.
3: Uh. <laughs> uh, you're such a grumpy old gill man. Gil, I am. Gills, I do old dances man. too. Dun, 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 dun. I'm sad I missed you at Dragon Con. I was looking for you. I was there. I know. Okay. I wanted to see your ice bucket challenge. I wanted to dump ice on you.
1: Oh, well, lovely.
3: <laughs> so, I know, but I saw the video and it was wonderful.
1: So this episode fits the mold of the previous seasons, uh, being season four. Every season they do an episode where it's, uh, they do like a future episode, and then they do a past episode. And, you know, in the first season you got End of the World and Unquiet Dead in, I guess they mix up the order a little bit, but then second season you got New Earth and Tooth and Claw, third season you got, um, I guess that one was out of order, it was Shakespeare Code, then Gridlock, here you got... Was what was I guess Donna's was future afterwards. It was the ood afterwards, and then this one. But you get early on in the season, you get the doctor taking them back in time, and there's this wonder of ooh, look at the history, look at Earth's history and stuff. And so that that fit nicely in this mold. I'm I'm kind of glad they didn't just go to Old England or something like that. I'm glad they went somewhere different.
0: Well, and that's one of the interesting things about the show. This is one of the first shows that they did for this new series that they filmed off site. Now I don't think they filmed specifically in Pompeii or in any place, but I know that they went outside of the UK to do some filming with this. I you know, I had some notes for this, but you know, I'm pulling them up right now.
1: They filmed in Rome. In they a did? studio in Rome, yeah. Makes mm.
0: sense. Yep. Um, let's
1: see. It was filmed in something something studios in Rome in September two thousand seven. Other locations Oh, these were suggested. Never mind. We should really do this research beforehand. Yeah. <laughs>
3: but <laughs> this episode was filmed in uh Cine, Cine Studios in Rome in September two thousand seven. The filming uh, reused some of the sets of the show Rome. Other locations suggested were in Malta and Wales, but the size of the project, the biggest since the show's revival, resulted in production taking place in Italy. This was the first time the majority of an episode was filmed abroad, and the first time the cast had filmed abroad since 1996. The television movie, which was filmed in Vancouver, and picked up shots that had previously been made in New York City for Dallas in Manhattan. Uh, Cinecitta accepted the BBC's request in order to promote the studios despite the uh, show's small budget. <laughs> small budget.
0: <laughs> well, you know, and also for a small budget, I'm going to say that the uh, the special effects, watching this, I, I got a chance to watch this via Netflix on my uh, on my little high-def TV, and it looked pretty good, especially the mountain explosion at the very end. I mean, for TV effects, that was... That was actually a pretty quality one. I, so I, I think
3: it's I, a very beautiful one where the Doctor and Donna are running away from, like, running through the valley away from the escape the pod. And, like, the mountains just slowly rolling behind them. That's a very beautiful shot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. It's, uh, the, the, I agree. The special effects were very good in this. The monsters looked really good. The magma monsters looked very good. Uh, it, was, it was very effective. I thought it was very well done. But, but New Who's always been great. I mean, there's been very few moments in New Who where I go, well, that looks cheesy. Uh, it's almost <laughs> like, always
3: film. Like the quality. chicken and Vincent the Doctor.
1: Uh, even that wasn't that cheesy. It was just funny. <laughs> but so um, a couple other quick things. And sooner or later we're gonna start g- talking about the guest stars because we've got lots to talk about there. Mm-hmm. But um, when I first saw this, I thought it was an adaptation. Like I don't know if you guys know or not, but Dalek is an adaptation. Uh, the the Chris Freckleston episode was an adaptation of a big finished play. It was an adaptation of Jubilee. And this case, I thought this was an adaptation of the big Finnish audio play called Fires of Vulcan, which took place with – had the seventh doctor, the guy with the umbrella, Sylvester McCoy, and his companion Mel, and they traveled, sure enough, to Pompeii on Volcano Day. Hmm. And so I thought it was a remake until I was doing the research for this episode here. turns out not at all. In fact, um, they make very little reference of it. Like, so they almost seem to go out of their way to not make references to it. But if you follow your chronology and everything like this, it looks like the Doctor was in Pompeii at least twice. The Seventh Doctor was there doing something else. Meanwhile, the Tenth Doctor is causing it to happen.
0: Is it again one of those things where the BBC sort of looks looks away from what they've done at Big Finish and really doesn't consider that part of the Doctor Who canon specifically.
3: I was about to ask you the exact same question. Do you, do you think the BBC considers Big Finish canon? And personally, do you consider uh, Big Finish canon? Uh,
2: the answer to
1: the first one, does BBC consider Big Finish canon? No. Unless it's appeared on TV, it's not canon, as far as the BBC is concerned. Um, they don't actively go out of their way to hose Big Finish. Or even the novels, because the BBC publishes its own line of novels, and they contradict that from time to time as well. Even though they're under their same umbrella, BBC, but um, they they basically if it's been on TV, it's canon. Otherwise, they, they they will then apologize basically say, "Sorry, this contradicts that story. This takes precedent." But they again, they don't actively go out of their way to hose them. Now, it's been pointed out in some conversations and uh, that. Nick uh, Big, Nick Briggs? Nick Briggs, yes. Yeah, is the voice of the Daleks, and he's the executive producer of Big Finish. You'd think there'd be a little tighter continuity there. And it works pretty well. I mean, when you saw Night of the Doctor with Paul McGann, Mm -hmm. they did actively make an effort to reference the Big Finish stuff in that play. Uh, Paul McGann, right before he regenerates, he apologizes to all of his Big Finish companions. He calls them out by name, which is kind of an exciting moment for nerds like me.
0: Yeah, and that w- that was that was great to see that in the uh, in the episode there, or that mini-sode there. That really, yep. that that was a great way to sort of send off the uh, the Eighth Doctor there. Or yep. yeah,
1: as as uh, Hope's generation would say, I I did a bit of a squee.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Mm.
1: Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, here the fires upon the fires of Vulcan is actually a pretty cool story. I recommend you guys check it out. It's uh, there's some, there's some fun time travel in it. The gist of it is, I'll just give you the, the teaser. The Doctor shows up in Pompeii and realizes that this is his last adventure. And Mel doesn't understand why, and you find out through the story that a couple generations were generations previously. The Doctor had been contacted by a unit, and they said during the excavation of Pompeii in the 1980s, someone found the TARDIS. Mm. And the Doctor realized that meant that he was fated to die in Pompeii, because why else would the TARDIS have sat there for thousands of years? And so he realizes that's his last adventure, and that's where the story goes from there. And it's very good, so. Well. Still, I'm sure uh, treat, you. I'm sure you can get it digitally. So. Yeah, oh,
0: not, not not to spoil it, but you know, being the fact that Mel was a companion before the Doctor was with Ace, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, that obviously isn't it. so. There's a mystery there. That, that's, right. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. It's worth it. Out. So
1: if you want to see a Scottish Doctor running around Pompeii with a redheaded companion, <laughs> check out *Fires Vulcan* or *Fires Pompeii*, actually.
0: Now, um, do we want to get uh, you know, are, are we pretty much done with, you know, general notes on this? Do we want to get into. I sort just of
3: wanted to point rules? out that, uh, just being early on, it was one of the first episodes to set up a lot of the themes throughout the season. Um, you know, this was the. I, I haven't seen the one before this, um, the opening, the first episode with Donna coming back, but it had the missing planets. Wait, wait, um, wait. wait.
1: In- You've never seen Partners in Crime?
3: No, I have. I just had. I haven't seen it in a long oh. time, so I can't well, remember. Oh, name. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I, I just. We I did a show remember. on it. I can't remember did if. We? Yes, no, we
0: did. Didn't. I yes, didn't. we did. Well, I don't know if you were there. We did. <laughs> we did <laughs> Partners in Crime, didn't we? I don't know. I love that episode so no, much. No, I, I remember us doing a Who True Freaks on Partners in Crime. Maybe we did have someone. Hope and I both love this season of Who
1: so much.
3: I could well, like I think me and Shax me and will need to do Turn Left at Midnight.
1: Yes, we do. I, we, we really would, do. We do that for like two years.
3: I know. But I just wanted to. This is uh, some of the early setups for the rest of the season. Uh, they mentioned the missing planets. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mentioned that there was something on Donna's back. Oh. And I know. God, Turn Left is so good. And they also, I picked up that Donna was the one that was looking over the daughter's arm, like a doctor, and I took that as one of the early references to Doctor Donna.
1: Uh, Shut up, (laughs) stretch.
3: But it is, it is an earlier. It's it's laying down some of the groundwork for the rest of the season. That it's so, it's easier to find it now, but uh, going at the beginning during that time period, like there are still things i i pick up on that i i missed uh the missing planets and that's why they were there in the first place um and that's what i like about re-watching old who is because you pick on up on stuff like uh, i never realized donna said oh did you buy that dress at tj maximus never realized i caught that <laughs> line before and it was hilarious i died laughing
1: well, the, you mentioned the scene about you've got something on your back when, when the soothsayers are sort of competing to impress people mm-hmm. and they're like calling him a lord of time and they say Gallifrey and you've got something on your back I got chills during that mm-hmm. whole scene it just kept getting more intense and more intense and the acting was great and the, like the, the creepy looks on Donna the doctor's faces and everything was like oh this has done so good anyone who has a problem with Russell T Davies watch this stuff this is so good
3: so, no. did you know that Fires of Pompeii was supposed to originally intended to be after Planet of the Ood?
1: Hmm, okay. Would that um, have made us. St- and I haven't watched Planet of the Ood in a long time. Would that have made a distinct difference?
3: Uh, originally, Fires of Pompeii was intended to be. Thank you, Doctor Who Tardis Wikia. Uh, originally, <laughs> Fires of P- Pompeii was intended to be transmitted after Planet of the Ood, but this was swapped because Russell T. Davis wrote in the Doctor Who's The Writer's Tale. Since the Ood Tale is surprisingly dark, I thought it would be it would undercut people's comedy expectations of life with Donna. But then, at the read-through, I read that uh, that the Ood episode was dark to the point of grim. It was very macho testosterone-fueled script, and it never and they're never my favorite. So yes, it made a better third episode. Hmm.
0: Okay, and I did do some checking. Yes. Uh, we did cover Partners in Crime, in fact, that was the second episode that we did, and Hope, you were on that episode.
2: really? I don't even remember that. I'm
0: looking at the site right now, it says, you know, Hootra Freaks, episode two, Partners in Crime, uh, Demons, of course, Superstars, <laughs> Joe Anthrax, Hope Mullinax, Andrew Leyland, and the hair metal hero. Oh, wait, I'm not on that one? No, surprisingly, you weren't there. You were on the next <laughs> one for Talon's.
3: We might have to do that one too, because I don't remember it.
0: Well, we'll just, we can go back. It's the like, it's beauty of it. It's like you
1: go back and listen to it. It's like your first time.
3: I know. i didn't <laughs> have to go back and listen to that episode. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How funny. Oh. oh, man. Well, go figure. That just shows that we need to podcast more.
0: I guess so. Um, One of the big characters that made, uh, you know, that uh, I think was one of the reasons we kind of wanted to cover this episode specifically was the fact that Peter Capaldi, Played a major role in this episode, and I hope I think this was kind of why you brought up doing this episode right now, simply because Peter Capaldi is in the uh, new iteration of Doctor Who. Now, what did you want to
1: wait? Okay, go ahead. Go don't ahead. Don't hate it. me. Don't hate me. Let's save the Capaldi piece. Let's do the other guest stars first. Okay, because the Capaldi cool. piece that—that's like the big thing, right? We're gonna—we're gonna get is that into, fair okay. to say. Hope. Go right okay. ahead. Then. Okay. Well, I was just—I'm I'm, going to bring up one you guys probably don't even know about. Steer this.
3: Uh, uh Karen Gillan.
1: No. Even I'm, who, sure you, I'm sure you picked up on that one I, I know the
3: Lucius <laughs> guy was in Sherlock like
1: <laughs> Mattella, um, who was uh, Cap- Capaldi's wife in the story um, is actually a companion of Doctor Who ah! in, the, in the audio dramas ah. uh, the actress Tracy Childs she played initially a villain in a Doctor Who episode, in a Doctor Who uh, audio drama called Colditz which was brilliant it was uh, took place in Nazi Germany and it's a really powerful story and she played a evil, evil woman named Klein from the future. And as the story goes on, history gets changed, and Klein is then in a future, several future episodes, but since history's been changed, she's not evil. She's more of a uh, questionable ethics scientist. And she eventually becomes companion to the Doctor. And so she's appeared in a number of uh, Seventh Doctor audio dramas. Hmm. So it's very interesting that... Um, and, and that goes back as far as 2001. So... I guess the timing of it is her first appearance was before this episode, but her as a companion was after this episode. So.
0: Huh. Interesting. I didn't know that. See, yeah. the, the the audio dramas are what, you know, I know you and Shag, you and Steven, mm-hmm. obviously you and Shag, because you're Shag. But you and Steven <laughs> are really interesting. <laughs> the, shag, they spend a lot of it's, time it's, together. Yes. It's well, the
3: royal Shag. The royal shag. <laughs> There you go.
0: But, you know, the, that you guys have uh, done a lot of listening to those audio dramas. And, you know, that there's tons of them out there that that i have no idea you know who has been in them and what different characters have portrayed in them that's nice to know that some of those characters are getting acting roles on the show so that was kind of neat obviously the other one that we already mentioned was karen gillen now was this shut up
3: (laughs) (laughs) i missed the (laughs) pawns
0: now she had she had a minimal role with the sisterhood of Garn. i mean Again, the Sibilin Sisterhood. I'm sorry, they're they're so similar. It's it's easy to mix them up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she was just basically you know run around and put her eye hands over her face and be kind of mysterious. I guess she, she was spoke. like the, she had a speaking role. Yeah, she did have a speaking role. It was yeah. kind of minimal, but you know it was nice to see her in the show.
3: You but know, was, I actually felt really Scottish. sorry for the sisters at the end. Like I, they were always kind of like the villains, and the more I thought about it. Is they were tricked just as much as everybody else Um, and you see the fear like they're all huddling together as the volcano is erupting and there's nothing they can do and they didn't see it coming and it's it's, like they're seers and they didn't see a volcano coming and you see it when the prophecy changes and the future changes and the volcano is erupting they almost for a moment looks like they're in pain and I, I, there's kind of like a dark irony when the people who can see the future ha- cannot stop or change their own personal future, no matter what, and it, it just broke my heart seeing them all huddled together, so scared, and they're and they're like, "You betrayed us," but this is what we have to deal with and live not too long with and accept.
0: Well, and I think I think the reason that I think it was specifically because the uh, the visions that they were getting were because it was the, uh, fumes that they were getting off the pyrovials, so they were intentionally not letting them in on the fact that the actual, uh, circumstances were going to lead to the volcano exploding, or, or well, actually, they didn't want to do that because the volcano wouldn't have exploded unless the doctor would have done it, they were going to harness the power of the volcano to, uh, Power themselves or whatever MacGuffin device to take over the world. So.
3: But they were just like the poised the entire time. Like even then, like they were all slowly turning into the lava creatures, mm-hmm. with like and not knowing it. And eventually, they would have became those creatures. I prop like I being able to see the future. And you know, I I took Latin and I love Roman history. It's it's one of my favorite things to study. Um, you know, gods and people who could, like, like, Vestal Virgins and those kind of priests and priests were pretty much considered, like, mini-demigods on Earth. Um, they were considered to be, like, if if you touched or tried to sleep with a Vestal Virgin, you would be killed on the spot. And if a Vestal Virgin was found out to not be so much of a virgin, they would be killed. Like, Like, they were considered, like, on a level above sometimes above or equal to the the emperors um, until they got crazy later on emperors come in Um, but so like that was what made them special and I could see how in like those moments there was like a sense of identity loss that they weren't born with those abilities they weren't weren't special they were just pawns and just in this game of this invasion and that's very sad to me hmm you <laughs>
1: well, slapped us with real knowledge. We don't want yeah. to really deal with that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're sci-fi you... nerds.
3: Yeah. I, I love Romans. I, I can talk forever. I actually like my Roman nickname is Pandora, and there's a story behind that that I won't say no
0: Thank, thank. Yeah, it, it was yeah, one I, of my no, most no, no,
3: embarrassing no. moments. Yet.
0: Don't. Uh, yeah, we can. We can. Too many inappropriate jokes there. Leave exactly, it. Exactly. Yes. Leave it.
3: <laughs> the basis of the story is I missed a question in Latin quiz bowl, which was what was la- left in the bottom of Pandora's box. Hope, I missed this question.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's that's a much better story than what I had. Yeah, and much yeah. cleaner. So yes. that's
3: yes. that's why my yeah, that... a nickname from Latin class was Pandora. That's funny. I know. <laughs> my Latin teacher thought it was hilarious.
1: <laughs> so obviously, Karen Gillian got spotted as having some merit and some talent in the episode. So they invited her back. Very similar to what happened with Martha. Because remember with Martha, uh, the actress who played her, she was in the the Cybermen episodes uh, in working for Torchwood. Oh, yeah. And then they liked her, so they invited her back. In fact, they even tied it together and said that she was her own cousin. Whereas here, obviously, they're not going to tie together Amy and, and the Seer. And uh, so, interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, actually, they did the same thing with Gwen in Torchwood. Gwen was in um, The Unquiet hey. Dead and then she played Gwen Cooper in Torchwood, and they started to hint to tie that together as her being a descendant of the other.
3: Oh, Torchwood. Totally. Hey, question. Are we ever going to cover Torchwood episodes in Who True Freaks?
0: Um, be I'd, be, I'd be willing to do, what, the the Children of Earth, because I've heard that was awesome. However, the rest of the Torchwood st- stuff I've heard is hit and miss, and I've heard that the last... Quasi season Miracle Day was just
3: not very good at all. I I loved the first season. I've so, I've I've never I've only seen parts of season two. Um, but that was just because I was in college and I could never always catch it. Um, and I just never went back to watch it. And then I loved Children's of Earth up until Yanto's death. And Yanto's Shh. death was. <laughs> Wow, it's been out for like what two thousand? Yeah, it's been five years. Um, like ten years now. Yonzo's death was the breaking of Torchwood for me, and I've never watched Torchwood since. I haven't even gone back and rewatched episodes after Yonzo's death because he and Jack were like the two quintessential episodes, and I freaking hate Gwen. I've hated Gwen since episode one. All right,
1: I'm going to put this out here. All right, and everyone at home, like this, uh, this is your homework assignment. Um, some night soon, and I do mean night.
3: You're talking about Countryside.
1: I'm talking about Countryside. Can we
3: cover... Oh, shut, shut, you I, will do, so, I will do Countryside with you. So
1: I would you not want, have a problem with that. I'd be you willing want, to
0: well watch it.
3: Just, you two just shut
0: up
1: for a minute. So anyway, you go to your Netflix folks, bring up Torchwood, which I assume is out there. Bring up Countryside, hit pause before it starts, turn off all the lights in the house, go to your front door and unlock it. Don't leave it open, just unlock it, and then go watch the episode. Maybe and it's you. Knowing-
3: and knowing that your windows
1: knowing that your front doors unlocked will make you so nervous even though no one's going to try and open your door no one ever tries to open your door it just doesn't happen anyway watch countryside with the door unlocked and you will be freaking your ass out
3: you you uh, the hint of this episode is countryside side is spelled c y d e <laughs> it's it's a horror me. movie.
1: It's a horror movie. It's a great horror movie.
3: It's, hmm. it's a really amazing episode. I I will do countryside with you, Shag and Sean. Like we we should do that very soon, and I will do it with you.
0: Like I said, I have not I have not seen any. Oh, well, that's I've not seen that much Torchwood. So I would be more than willing to start watching it, especially, you know, if it's just this one-off episode that's all, because I'm all into horror films as well, so I can watch creepy stuff, and that'd be interesting as well.
3: See, I don't like horror movies. Um, my friend finally coaxed me into watching American Horror, Show, uh, American horror Story Freak Show, um, which I've actually been really enjoying, but I was not expecting Countryside to, take, to, to do what it did, and it petrifies me still to this day like like i will think about it and get the creeps like i just oh god i'm shivering now uh
1: all right let's not spoil it let's just leave it at that
3: okay yeah
0: but you know uh, there, there was i guess there was one major person who showed up in this episode that uh kind of showed up later in the show in a pretty big scene and that was uh that was of course mr capaldi as cacalius or can, how you can i it. present this go right ahead this is this is why we had you on the show hope this was your idea basically
3: so i originally approached shag and sean about doing fires of pompeii is before season eight started uh there's an interview with Stephen moffat and i have it pulled up right here um it was with radio times and um i'm just gonna read straight from the interview so, will those appearances, uh, be swept on the rug, and they're talking about Capaldi being in both fires of Pompeii and portraying, uh, Home Office Permanent Secretary John Frobisher in Torchwood Children of Earth. <laughs> so, will these- Oh, God, I know. Um, so will these appearances just be swept under the rug, uh, under the carpet when Capaldi takes up his new post as the Doctor? Not necessarily, Doctor Who showrunner Stephen Moffat says there could be an explanation for the fact that we've seen Capaldi's face before, and it emanates from his predecessor, Russell T. Davis. And Moffat says, We are aware that Peter Capaldi played a part in Doctor Who before, and we're not going to ignore that fact. I'll let you in on this. I remember Russell told me he had a big old plan as to why there were two Peter Capaldis in the Who universe, one in Pompeii and one in Torchwood. I When I cast Peter, uh, Russell got in touch to say how pleased he was and I said, okay, well, what was your theory and does it still work? And he said, yes, it does. And here it is. So I don't know if we'll get to it. We'll play that one out over time. It's actually quite neat. And and so I started doing a little bit uh, more research and Moffat went on to say the big fun question is we don't know that the Doctor when he regenerates the faces it's not set from birth it's not that he's always going to one day be Peter Capaldi we know that because uh, we know that uh, that's the case because in the second Doctor story the War Games he has a choice of face and all that we know it's not set so where did he get these faces from? They can't just randomly generate because they got lines and they've aged. When he turns into Peter, he'll actually have lines on his face. Sorry, Peter. So where does these faces come from? And so I started looking at John uh, Frobisher and I started and uh, thinking about that. And that What I originally wanted to do was go back and watch Fires of Pompeii to see if there were any hints at all that this might lead into the 12th doctor and of course that you know they weren't setting up the 12th doctor at the time but I was looking for any small hints and I think the hints lie more in deep breath and in children of um, That's Because as I was watching the episode that's what I came to and I actually put this question out on Twitter and Tumblr and Facebook and I got some responses of different theories and explanations back from it, if you guys would want me to present those.
2: Go ahead. Yeah.
3: Alright, so the doctor going home on Tumblr said, I've actually read, and cannot currently source the story, um, that Davies intended Bisher to be Kaikaleus' descendant. It's a dark ending to Frobisher's time bouncing out the light ending of Kaikaleus' meaning that the, since the doctor changed their personal history in saving that family, uh, they were supposed to die, so his descendants actually ended up dying. Uh, oh! That's sick! probably uh, right a <laughs> uh, girl meet Sherlock from Tumblr said connection to Caecilius. we know that the Roma uh, that uh, from amana in classic who that the doctor can choose his new face. While he doesn't do that consciously in Nuhu, it makes sense that after all the events of the 50th special and Christmas, the new doctor subconsciously chose a face that reminds him of one of his truly finest hours, saving a single human family out of pure mercy. This also makes sense with the fact that, for all his confusion about who he is, Twelve is deeply merciful, perhaps to an extent that we haven't seen in Nuhu, choosing to forgive and help a companion who was willing, willing to literally destroy his entire life. Luna at Midnight said, uh, in the first season of the new, uh, the first episode of the new season, I found it interesting when he asked, where have I seen this face before? Why this face? Oh, and that's referring to deep water, or, uh, deep breath. Uh, almost like he was aware that the face was from the guy in Pompeii. And then my friend Butch, God, you guys would love him, said, um, this was from Facebook, said, I think the only thing remotely resembling a concrete connection.'" Uh, was from blinking from the blinking you'll miss it line. Capaldi says in deep breath. In the scene where he is in the trash back alley and he he gets his clothes from the hobo, twelve says something about seeing that face before. Again, it didn't really prove anything, but insinuates that the doctor chooses his face from people he meets on his adventures. And I have a feeling that all Moffitt is, uh, that's all Moffitt's going to get out of it. The overall tone with Series, uh, with series 8 really struck me as we're going comp- completely back to basics. So I'm not expecting a huge development in some backstory explaining uh, uh, the uh, necessary. In recent interview regarding the possibility of return of Missy, Moffat refers to how Anthony Ansley would always be killed off uh, pretty definitely, then return only with the explanation, well, I escaped contemporary geek culture <laughs> is far too obsessed with reading in between the lines and when sometimes we just need to enjoy the story as it is presented.
0: Yeah, I can, I can completely get behind the thing. Oh, I just made my way out of it, Doctor. You you didn't see me die, did you? Ha <laughs> ha right. That's the comic
3: way. book rules. You don't see the body, they're yeah, still alive. Yeah, that's true.
0: Well, and again... Since Cybermen don't disintegrate people that way either, by the yeah, way. That's true. So there could I... have been something that you know, zapped her or teleported her way, something. Yeah, they can always you know finagle their way out of that.
3: And my buddy uh, Alice, who's uh, Killjoy in a cave from Tumblr, she presented the theory that maybe the doctor, like the 12th doctor, became human at some point, the way Tin became John Smith, and that was actually the doctor we were seeing, he just didn't know it. Um, I think that's a bit far-fetched, but it's always in the realm of possibility, and that could be uh, why uh, Frobisher's death uh, dealt with aliens, because in Children of Earth, he had dealt with aliens before. That was his job previously. And he, maybe he uncovered the truth about his ancestors and somehow inherited the Marvel slab with the TARDIS household gods, like the new ones. So, I mean, that that is a possibility, too. So, right. what do you guys well, think about all this?
1: I've actually, it's, it, I've heard this theory of been going since before the season, and I, I, I've done a little bit of look into it. Uh, I was giving you some gruff about it earlier, Hope, but he, here's where I think this really goes is, um, yeah, absolutely the comment in Deep Breath is to refer to Capaldi's previous appearances. No doubt about that. Very intentional and, and fairly obvious as you see it and, and once you know that's there. I think, and this is the theory I'd, I'd heard previously, it's not so much to tie back Capaldi's previous appearances. As is just to acknowledge, yes, the Doctor does pull the faces from the past. And the reason for it, supposedly, is so that they can bring previous actors from the show who played the Doctor and put them into the show without them having to play the Doctor.
3: How do you like, mean? I don't, I don't... Like
1: Tom Baker appeared in the 50th anniversary special. He wasn't, was he playing the Doctor? Was he not playing the Doctor? We don't really know. Um, the idea also could be Peter Davis and Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, could appear in the new series as a completely different character than the Doctor. But what they're saying is somehow in his timeline, the Doctor found that face and used it in his regeneration. That was the theory I had heard, was they were they were introducing this idea of the Doctor pulling a face from somewhere in his life so they could bring the previous actors back and use them in the series, not as the Doctor. Does that make sense, what I'm explaining? I'm not saying you have to agree with it, but does that make sense, how I'm explaining it?
3: Just to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying, now that I think about it, yeah.
1: Now, to give you a- another real-world example, Capaldi's not the first actor to pull this off with the Doctor. Colin Baker, who played the sixth Doctor, was actually in a fifth Doctor episode as a security guard for Gallifrey. In fact, he shot the Doctor. Uh, and then when he regenerates, he regenerates into the guy who shot him. So there's there, you can put
0: that theory all the way back to 1983 if you want. Well, and then you also have oh, there was that little throwaway thing at what was it, like the first it was the first episode after the key to time episodes where Romana regenerated herself into a fashion show. Yeah, it, that was basically you know like three or four different re- regenerations of Romana, and it was her just changing her her appearance. Yep. And you you could you could put that into the the. <gasps> They're, they're capable of changing their appearance to whatever they want to via, you know, their past experiences. Dude, there's the best example right there. I didn't even think about that. Romana purposefully regenerated
1: into a character they had met in the previous episode.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, that, that makes perfect The See, unfortunately, this is something that, you know, had happened prior to old Who, so you wouldn't, wouldn't really glom onto it, Cope. But, yeah, th- that's a good example of, uh, you know, what's going on here.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. Lala, Lala Ward was in this finale to, to The Key to Time, Hope. She played uh, this princess, and she was just a character. Then Romana regenerates after that episode. Really what happens is Mary Tam left the show. Mm-hmm. And she regenerates into the same actress who was in the previous episode as a different character. Oh, okay. She, and she even makes the comment something about, like, either like they wanted Astra to be remembered or, or something like that. And so she purposely regenerated to look like someone they had met. So there, there's a great example right there of, of how the Doctor can pull someone
0: from his timeline. Yeah, so he can, he can basically pull someone, yeah, like you said, pull someone from his timeline, someone that had a significant impact on him, and use that as a sort of uh, a mask that he can use for his next generation, a, a template for him.
1: And using the theory as I was mentioning before, maybe since he's all timey-wimey, he can pull someone he hasn't even met yet. So what you could say is, uh, okay, so... Capaldi regenerates into somebody else, whatever, but he, he meets, at some point, let's say Peter Davison, okay? Uh, the guy who played the fifth Doctor. He meets, uh, Capaldi meets Peter Davison, not playing the Doctor, Peter Capaldi's playing, I'm sorry, I'm just screwing Davison. this up left and right. Peter Davison's playing some other character entirely, and then you could say, somehow, because the timey-wimey-ness, because Picaldi met, met this guy who looked like Peter Davison, way back in the fourth Doctor, he chose that face. To regenerate into, you could you could kind of do the timeline-y thing that way. It gets pretty that's, confusing pretty quick.
0: Well, that's that's stereotypical for any time travel show. Uh, it, it 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 it's fun to to talk these things out, but if you try and think about it too seriously and too in depth, you'll just hemorrhage your brain.
1: So. It's just cl- it's just clever retconning.
0: I don't think exactly. there's
1: been I don't think there's been any planning up until the writing of Deep Breath for Capaldi of, of, of putting this theory out there. I think it's all just clever retconning. I
3: I have a I have a statement and then a question. Um, so the statement I have is the way I see it is the only people of the three Capaldi characters that actually have a connection is Kaikelius to Frobisher. Um, they, they, uh, Rusty Davis came out and said that they are descendants. They have their connection together. I do not think that the doctor is connected to them at all. I agree with you guys that he chose this face. Um, now the question is, why do you think he chose to have Kaikilius' face of all people, of everyone he's ever met? Why Kaikilius? And the answer can't be, well, it's just because it's Peter Capaldi. Like, why did he, as the doctor as a character, chose to have a roman uh like marble cutter uh, or polisher or whatever job he had who died in who almost died in rome and he saved him why that face and the only thing i can there to me there's a really powerful moment when the doctor comes back and Kaikilius is looking at the doctor and the doctor is looking at him and they reach out and touch hands and like he takes his hand and I, that was the one scene that I could even come close to connecting the Doctor and K. Achilles. but even then it was a really far stretch. But I feel like there might have been something in that scene, and I feel like maybe... Uh, 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 who was it? Um... Uh, Girl Who Meets Sherlock, the one I read earlier. Like, that was um, one of his truly finest hours, saving a single human family out of pure mercy. I think maybe it has something to do with that, but even then... Why do you think he chose Kaikilius of all people?
1: I got something for you. Yeah.
3: Kykilius. And you can't say it just because it's Peter
1: no, 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 no. I, I don't have a snarky one this time. Um, <laughs> Kaikilius, is that how you say his name? Kaikilius so. is. I mean, his family was too, but he's essentially the survivor of a culture that burned, and uh. the, doc- the doctor is supposedly the lone survivor uh, of a culture that burned. And so maybe he sees a connection with Caecilius, and maybe that's even why he, you, know, you could even say he helped save Kykilius is because he saw him, you know, saw some of himself in there or something. I don't know, but um, maybe that's it. You know, they're they're both survivors of a dead culture.
0: That is that is brilliant, Shaq. Honestly, that is a really good explanation. <laughs> I don't, have, explanation. A better,
3: I don't no. have a better answer. No, I, th- yeah, I, think, it, I think I think the,
0: the yeah the entire idea of him being able to select who he's going to regenerate into, and taking the character of Kaikeius and turning that into his next regeneration, you know, seeing the parallel there between his life. As, as a time word who watched his planet burn and Cacalius as a person who watched his home burn is is an apt description, is an apt parallel between the two characters and
3: the episode before this was the Christmas episode, and it was the town of Christmas and their culture burning and being invaded.
1: it's mm, true. I prefer not to think about that episode anymore. Yeah. Hmm. That was so bad. Time of the Doctor was awful.
3: But I mean, but it's true, I mean Though, uh, some good readings uh, if you're a history buff uh, if you look at Pliny the Older and Pliny the Younger there were two Roman historians they were both at Pompeii they were I think uncle and nephew if I remember correctly don't quote me on that one and Pliny the Younger escaped um, but Pliny the Older burned at the docks uh, trying to escape um, and that was what Donna when Donna was saying don't go to the beaches go to the hills well that's what Pliny the Younger did Like he went to the hills while his uncle went to the docks and burned Mm-hmm. So. Well, <laughs>
1: Cacalius C-Ca- C-Ca- is based on a real person too
3: I did not know that really
0: That's what Wikipedia tells me And and we can always trust Wikipedia Because it's a bastion of truth and no, honestness Actually one looks- no
3: it really is uh, If they have sources yeah And Wikipedia is like really guarded now um, When it comes to historical sources They You cannot change it unless you can like show Like your historical degree
0: Oh alright then
3: all right. Yeah like anything that's science math and history based You cannot change it Okay
1: yeah, the, what it says here is basically that he, he's supposed to be legit. There's even like a, a statue or a carving of him here, so i got to assume there's some basis to this. But um, they talk a little bit about the guy, and they're saying that uh, in the fires of Pompeii, in the original history, that, um, let's see, the wife and the son um – at the end of book one of the Cambridge Latin course, Cecilius and Metalla perish in Pompeii on the day of the eruption, but Quintus survives. The episode creates an alternate ending to their story where they're rescued by the doctor and moved to Rome. So now I don't know whether the, the book one of Cambridge is, is fiction or not, but they, they have these characters that this purposely shows you the doctor has changed history.
3: That is crazy. Cause then I, I, I just keep going back to Torchwood when that history came back to bite them, and it was where Kykilius made the choice to try and save his family. uh, first uh, Frobisher Fru- chose to kill his family and himself. Yeah. That's all that oh, that's,
1: that, I mean, that yeah. scene freaked me. And in, in, in Children of Earth, that scene freaked me out. Like, I burst into tears. Yeah. When that happened, and my wife's like, What are you watching? Because I had headphones on, I was watching on a laptop or whatever. And then, um, even tying it back to this makes it even more like, I got chill bumps right now. You know,
3: I've only watched Children of Earth once, and that was, like, what, like 2007, something like that?
2: Um, It's kind of hard to watch it now.
3: there, There are only two scenes that actually strongly stick out to me, and that's Yanto's death... And that scene, like those yeah. are the only two scenes I strongly remember from Children of Earth. Like I couldn't tell you anything else. I even forgot that the monster was called the Four, Five, Six until I was looking at Car- Capaldi's character. I completely forgot all of that.
1: <laughs> Sean, um, as, as a parent, it's a really
0: hard thing to watch the whole huh? Children of Earth. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I've I've heard the entire
3: heard plot that. of Children of Earth is what is like the children are being possessed and they have to give up a tenth of the world's children and sacrifice them.
1: Aliens use the children as drugs. hmm Yeah,
0: that that really sounds like a really uplifting show. that I think I'm going to go watch, you know, right after my daughter's birthday and just make myself Tortured Torture was never a happy thing. Yeah, no,
3: it <laughs> yeah. was... I, I, I always thought of it like the HBO version of Doctor Who. I
1: always thought it was X-Files for Doctor Who.
3: because it was, like, much darker, sexier, grittier um, a version of Doctor Who.
1: Okay. Yep. So fires of pompeii thumbs up thumbs down
0: i think yeah so. yeah definitely thumbs up we wouldn't be talking about it here if we you know we thought it was a crap one i mean we'd save that for the uh column maker episodes
3: oh man i we need to do some like crap ones and i uh, oh, we're gonna I, we're
0: gonna do a season eight review remember
3: oh uh, <laughs> yeah oh god i still oh, oh god zap. i know the first half of season eight is so good because it's the puns last six episodes <laughs> And there are still things that they set up in that the, that first half that never got answered that we you and I talked about Shag and I still watching it to this day wait, wish they wait, would get answered season seven
0: you're talking I about season seven season, see, Shag's Shag's mocking the current season I was ah. mocking season eight Capaldi season ah. seven
3: no like season it. don't Shag going it go into it with an open mind if you're judging it based off the first and last episode like because the first I've, episode I've the, is the, I've the, probably I've seen the first three. Really? I've seen, yeah, I've seen the the Sherwood episode. I've seen
1: the Tiny Dalek one or whatever you call it. I've I've seen the last, so I've seen five episodes. And... Okay,
3: it's gone. Per- like I will say though, because um, I when I, I, I originally listeners sent out to Shag and Sean like a tentative like if we ever did season eight, um, a breakdown of what I would want to do in like our three favorites, three least favorites, and then an honorable mention. Robot of Sherwood, but is my honorable mention like because it's it's not the best episode, it's not the worst. But it's my personal honorable mention because i'm a sucker for anything robin hood so the entire time i was just like this is lovely i'm not thinking about it i love it it's robin hood yeah not and, thinking about it at all. Like, that's that's my honorable mention episode, and I fully recognize it is not the best episode of the season, but I absolutely love it. And there's, it some, good not. Ones,
0: there's some good ones in the middle there. The one with the Oren Express is really good. The one yeah. the, about the moon. Uh, let's yeah, see. I didn't like Kill the Moon. You didn't like Kill the Moon? I kind I of liked, enjoyed
3: it. I liked the last 15 minutes. To me, it was a rehashing of the 50th anniversary. Yeah.
0: And uh, what is it? The one, Listen. That was a nice sort of creepy one as well.
3: I liked Listen, except for I still have one under answered question about this end okay well well, well,
0: well don't s- bring it up until save that yeah yeah but yeah I I, I think this was a good episode and I'm glad that uh, you were able to you know d- d- that we're able to get together to talk about
3: this and Donna is still Queen Donna is still she's, the Queen
1: she's so good in this episode I mean the whole opening where she you know she's excited about Rome and she's giving him crap about being in English I mean she Catherine Tate is just such a great actress mm-hmm. she, just, she I, can't
3: I so love powerful. that explanation because uh, everyone sounds British in Rome, but then I always think about about uh, Dallas Manhattan where they just had terrible American accents. And if if it was the TARDIS translating, why not just make them all so British and explain it as the TARD like nah. the <laughs> well,
0: that's funny. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, before we go, we actually have, like I said, it's not from you, Shag. It's an actual email to the show. So would you want to really? hear about that before? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have. Uh, an email well we've got an email address for the website uh but i if you guys do want to write into the show just go ahead and send it to my personal email for my show which is just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com and we'll read this if you have any comments on this show or any other shows we'll read them on the air this one comes from uh
1: i'm gonna guess is this is this the guy from nigeria
0: no no he he uh, i already replied his email with my uh my bank account and uh, routing number. So Damn, I'm, also, I should can be I, getting those $37 million here pretty soon.
3: Can I also say um, it might be something fun to start doing is reading any reviews that we get. Um, I have the reviews pulled up right now. And if you, review who true freaks on itunes it not only helps people find our show it helps us go up in the ratings for so more people can find our shows and it also helps us feel good and i have our whole two reviews pulled up and i can we'll read them on the show as well
0: (laughs) that'd be great do you want to go ahead and read read one now and then we'll uh we'll do the email and we can read the second one sounds good okay go ahead so
3: so the first one is from professor Allen, who we all love yes and he says, A rotating crew of hosts, all of whom love Doctor Who. Although different incarnations with different preferences, talk monthly or so, <laughs> monthly or so, <laughs> about Who-related topics. Very funny, informative, and interesting show. Thank you, Professor Allen.
0: Yes, thank Yay. you very much. If you don't know Professor Allen, of course, he does all the show. Well, he does most of the shows up at the relatively geeky site. Uh, he does Quarterbin Podcast and uh, co-hosts the uh, box Showcase with his daughter Emily, who does her own show called "Covering the Bronze Age. All the shows over there are great. You should definitely go listen to them. Have you guys, have you heard the latest one that Emily did about the uh, Comics Code? Oh my gosh. That was, that was it great. It is so good.
3: I haven't yet. I want to hear it so bad. It, it's really it's
1: good. all about Wortham, and let me tell you guys, I mean, I thought I kind of knew a little bit about Wortham, and this was so eye-opening, and she did such a really critical analysis of what he had done. I mean, amazing!
0: And it Just wasn't it wasn't your basic negative yo comic fan rant It Wortham was bad he was horrible she actually took a look at the book read the book and made you know made very prescient points about what he was doing so I, I really enjoyed that episode kudos to her for getting that out that was a great episode
3: And which show in case anybody wants to say uh, listen to what show was that in
0: That was on the Shortbox Showcase you can check all those out I think at relatively com. They're all all great shows. Definitely worth listening. Well, we also got an email this time out from another podcaster as well. This is Chris and Cindy Franklin, and they sent in an email entitled The Seeds of Whom. W-H-O-M <laughs> instead of You, you get it. Uh, he says, well, I'm assuming it's Chris. I'm, I'm certain he makes Cindy write it up. But he says, I enjoyed your talk about Seeds of Doom. I will admit I have not seen this one, but I'm going to see if I can track it down. It sounds like a winner. Oh, yes. Uh, Seeds of Doom was great. I, I enjoyed the heck out of that one. He goes, thanks for reading my letter. Cindy probably thinks I'm a dictator, making her watch bad movies, read bad comics, and pages and pages of notes for supermates. So Dave may be right. You know, I think Dave commented on the fact that uh, you know Chris I think Chris wrote in love for the last Hoot Freaks and uh, made an email saying that he makes his wife watch these shows as well. So, but, you know, it's Doctor Who. You've got to enjoy it. He finishes up saying, Not that you asked, but I'm liking Capaldi so far. The slightly gruffer, I'm sorry, the slightly sinister gruffer doctor is very interesting. You really aren't sure what he's going to do at any given moment, and that's exciting. His unpredictability is the best part, and I'm also intrigued where things are going with Clara and Mr. Pink. Well... I think by this time now you know where they're going. Since she, <laughs> since she's leaving at the end of the season, I wonder if he'll stay on as a companion to pry, provide a hunky guy for all the female <laughs> fans missing Smith and Tennant. Oh no! Not gonna have him, bro. Uh, unfortunately, Chris. Now you know that's not in the cards. Uh-huh. Anyhow, always looking forward to more Who True episodes. Keep them coming. And he signs it away. He signs it away, Chris. No, really, it's me. Not Cindy. She's not here right now. I swear. And that, of course, was from Chris and Cindy Franklin, or at least Chris Franklin, who does the Supermates podcast over at supermatespodcast.blogspot.com. Check it out in iTunes. It's a great show. They just finished up their uh, Halloween series of episodes, The House of Frankenstein, which is a bunch of fun. And uh, doesn't Chris do the Power Records podcast over at Fire and Water as well? Sure does. Fire and Water podcast. Um,
1: You can find that on iTunes. You can find it at FirestormFan and AquamanShrine.com. And Chris is definitely part of the Power Records gang. Him and Rob cover those old, wonderful records you listened to as a child in the 70s, where you'd play the record and read the comic that went
0: along with it. Excellent. And you said we had one more review, Hope. What, what's that one
3: mean? We do. Uh, I should say that Professor Allen gave us a five star, and this one is also a five star. Yeah. It's from Gene Hendrix, who is wonderful Yay. and always in the true, true, true. true freaks facebook page always saying wonderful lovely things we love you Jean. and he says a doctor who cast by fans for fans everyone has a different point of view and origin story where the show is concerned and the discussions make you think and rethink your views on particular doctor or episodes if you like doctor who in any form you must listen to this
0: cool. Uh, Gene's Gene's always been very supportive of all the shows that we put out and Gene also puts out his own shows as well over at at the uh, Two True Freaks website. He's got recently he just started up Anime Freaks with uh, Bill Robinson. He does his own show called uh, Legend of the Superheroes which he brings in people to talk about various uh, superhero creations in film or TV. He does the Hammer Strikes podcast where he talks about you know whatever he wants to talk about sort of geeky and then he also does the quantum cast which is a show covering the uh, character of quasar so he's got a bunch of shows over there at two true freaks that you can go check out definitely do that but thanks gene for leaving us a uh, itunes review we'd love if you guys would like to leave us an itunes review please do that if you listen to us through itunes that'd be great
3: and if you if you love our show and you want to give us five stars, that's great. If you think that we could improve on something and you want to give us one star, we would love to hear from you too. We always want to know what we can improve on. Exactly,
0: we we always want to make sure that the show is entertaining. You know, it may not be the most regular show here on to on the Two True Freaks website, but we want to make sure that it's one of the more entertaining shows.
1: And if you and, do want to leave a one star review, make sure you remember the name of our show is Just One of the Guys. Mm-hmm. That's the <laughs> one you
3: want to send it to. <laughs> <laughs> Um and you had an email again for feedback. Uh you want to say that again?
0: Uh no, that was, that was the one. That was uh the the address I think she means. Oh, the email address. Yes. The email address if you want to write to the show is actually just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com. We and haven't we'll, really set up one for the Hootroo Freaks well, There's probably one that we have set up for Hootroo Freaks at com. but the last time I checked those uh emails, it's basically a bunch of spam from uh chinese fishers and and fishers by i mean p-h-i-s-h-e-r-s rather than actual people who go out and hunt whales i want some
3: pretty japanese fishers to send me stuff
0: Uh, you know just log on to the you know get the get the access to the email and you'll find yeah any of that well fishermen so um since we're rounding us up do we want to go ahead and sign off and tell people where they can find us on the internet
3: no. Oh sure, no, <laughs> not everyone.
0: St- I'm staying I- for a while. Okay.
3: Um, I will. I actually have news. I launched a website.
2: Congratulations.
3: Yay. Thank you. Um, it's geekygirlexperience.com. dot Um, I'm still working out some of the bugs. Like my PayPal is not working, and I still have to finish the podcast section. Um, but it is there and has three whole blogs on it. Um, my webmaster decided to go Aus- to Australia for work for three months, so I won't he can't help me at the mom- moment and i'm html stupid uh. <laughs> but uh it's geekygirlexperience.com. i pretty much talk about whatever i feel like um i have my own podcast on true freaks it's hope of all trades i've been a little bit quiet recently but i've switched jobs in august and so i'm trying to balance out three jobs because podcasting is my third job full time and I just haven't had a chance to finish up a show and I have a show edited I just have to put it together and put it up um, and it's a good one too it was a panel I was on at Dragon Con and it was reality TV and geek fandoms and how and uh i was surprised to see that the cast of king of the nerds actually showed up at the panel and i I didn't know they were going to be there and they gave us a lot of great insight of geek reality tv shows and the process they went through it was a really interesting panel and i'm i just need to have a day to sit and finish it up but life got in the way recently and i have to finish that oh and you can find me on twitter at hope mullinax
1: shag um well you can find me at firestormfan.com which is where i chat about dc comics uh character firestorm the nuclear man more importantly the star of the flash tell you tv show uh or as i like to call it firestorm and his atomic buddies it's uh <laughs> with all the ge- with all the villains they're all firestorm bad guys anyway uh so that's firestormfan.com you can also find me on facebook twitter instagram google plus and tumblr all under Firestorm Uh also have I- been in part of a new group as well. Actually, two new groups. The Legion of Super Bloggers, focusing on the Legion of Superheroes. I'm one of the guys over there, and you can also find me on the Ultraverse Network, which is a because Firestorm is not niche enough. Uh, it's a network dedicated to a series of comics that existed from 1993 to 1997, never to be seen again. <laughs> and so we've got three different podcasts in the network, and we've got a daily blog. So check it out. Ultra. You find that at ultraversepodcast.com.
0: Yeah, I've got to listen to that second part, the Prime of Your Lives episode. You, got that, you just released that, like, a few days ago, haven't you? Yes, but by the time they hear this, it'll be about four years ago. Yeah, that's probably so. It takes me a while to edit this stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, again, I, I've i got my own show over at Two True Freaks called Just One of the Guys. the Green Lantern podcast. I obviously do this show. I do The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror with uh, Luke Jacanetti and Chris Honeywell and the hair metal hero. Uh, I'm on Walking Dead Wednesday. I do the Tangent podcast with Michael Bradley. Woo! Yeah, we're we're just in fact tomorrow. Uh, that's the time of this recording tomorrow morning. I'm been recording some more episodes with him. We're going to be talking about uh, Superman and Wonder Woman over in the Tangent universe. So that'll be Hot interesting. Damn. And uh, I'm trying to think of other things I do. I do listen to the prophets over at Tootsery as well. And so I'm I'm hopped up on heroin right now just to keep myself <laughs> going. It's it's all just fun in games here.
3: Man, I had, like... I didn't list everything I was doing. Good lord, guys.
0: You may be sound underwhelming. Well, we're whores, so let's I, just leave I it at that. I might be on a network. Sh- I'm going to be
3: on a network. From what network?
0: Says, what what network?
3: I, oh, my friends, uh, Brian and Alex from Other Side of the Mirror podcast, they're launching a network called What the Fangirl? And it's <laughs> a girl's perspective. I know, the letters are WTF. That's what they call it. And right, they already right. have a Twitter, a website, and everything set up for it. And uh, they're launching it well, fairly soon, they're they're in the final works of it, and it's pretty much just gonna be. I'm I'm like the Mary Sue. It's from anything pop culture. So if you want to write about like something current or like the Rugrats from the 90s, um, <laughs> they're gonna have a section where it's like relooking at like older TV shows, anything new. But it's just gonna be different things from, um, uh, 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 different pop culture events, and they asked me to be a contributing writer for it.
0: What's cool? That's awesome. Yeah, don't be afraid to promote yourself because God knows Shag and I will. We'll promote ourselves to the end of the earth.
3: If you want, you can actually go to whatthefangirl.com. dot com. They have a place where you can sign up for a newsletter, and when you sign up, uh, it'll tell you when the website launches. Like they, I've seen the website; it's beautiful. I have my login stuff; it's great. It's wonderful. Uh, we're just waiting. Uh, they they had to deal deal with some family stuff, so now they're about ready to actually like launch, launch.
0: Oh, awesome. Well, that's all, that's all that we do, and that's all that we're going to do tonight. We hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and we will be back the next time that we get back together, hopefully for some more Hooch Roof Freaks. See you Woo! then, guys. Bye.
3: Bye. Bye. Yay! But if you close your eyes, does it almost feel like
2: nothing changed at all? Visit our
1: website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2 True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.
0: You can email 2 True Freaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com.
1: 2 True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow.